Good morning. I'm glad that you are worshiping with us this morning on this beautiful April the 26th. And I pray that God blesses you as we worship and look at God's Word together. For our regular attenders and part of our church family that watches us and listens to us, I am delighted that you're here this morning and I pray that God blesses you. For those who may not know about Crossroads Fellowship, have just tuned in to what is going on and picked it up, we're glad you're with us. I pray you'll stay with us, that God will bless you as you listen as well this morning uh, to with as we go through God's Word together. We're going to be looking at what's right and what is wrong. More than 20 years ago, Chuck Coson released a book called How Now Shall We Live? The thesis of Colson's book is, Our Faith in Jesus Christ is More Than a Private Relationship with God. It's a way of seeing and changing the world around us. Biblical faith in its principles and beliefs have the answers and rebuttals to the world's philosophies. But we've not changed our world. We've lost our influence. Mankind has reached critical mass, it seems. And today the world events are moving so fast we can hardly keep up with them. What is happening in our world? Whatever it is, it's too deep and complex to fathom. But like David's difficulties in 1 Samuel 30, when he and his army had lost their families, their wives and their children and their houses and their crops... God had a plan in place for them. God has a plan for His people today in the turmoil we face. First Peter 4, 9 says, The end, or it speaks of the end of all things. And God tells believers how to prepare for those tumultuous events. God doesn't talk about physical or financial preparation. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 11. And I'm reading from the New American Standard today, which is different than the translation I usually use. But 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since all these things are to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? How now shall we live? Our text this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I hope you have your Bible. You'll turn to those and you'll follow along as I read these aloud and you read them from your translation. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your hearts to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. That's verses 1 through 5. And then verse 9 of that same chapter. God's Word says, Then you will discern righteousness and justice, and equity, and every good course. When I pursue godly wisdom, then I seek, and when I seek understanding, 
the knowledge of God, then I will know how to find the right path. What is right and what is wrong. Would you pray with me? Father, you are our security. Help us as your children to rest in you in these unsettling days. The psalmist said, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Father, we receive your blessings of peace. Strengthen us, your people, to slow, to show love to our neighbors and to share with them our comfort. Psalms 29 says, The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. And so as we study Your Word this morning, give us wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong. Help us to choose right and to be light in a dark world. Help us to make a difference in our world. And Father, I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If I'm a follower of Christ, how am I supposed to live? How do I know what is right and what is wrong? I will tell you I struggle. I don't always know. Once I received Christ as Savior and Lord, once I have settled the question that I know, that I know, that I belong to Him, then there are three important questions. In fact, the most important questions after salvation that we must ever ask ourselves. And how we answer these three questions determine the kind of life we'll live on earth, I'm talking about the foundation that, we, that I build for my life. And then secondly, the significant legacy that my life will leave. And third and last, the rewards I will have in heaven. Let's look at these three important questions. The first one, what will be my authority for choosing right and wrong? What's going to be my authority for choosing right and wrong? What's going to be the standard to determine what is right and what is wrong? There are only three options to choose from in determining right and wrong. The first one there is an external authority on your outline. That's everyone says. I look and I listen to what the world around me is saying and doing, and that becomes my authority. The world has their opinion of right and wrong, and they'll gladly tell us what it is. In our Western society, there are almost 8 out of 10, or in our Western society where almost 8 out of 10 consider themselves Christians, surely they know right from wrong. Surely logic and human reasoning and personal experience can tell me what is right and what is wrong. When I choose the external authority as my basis for right and wrong, I am saying I do what I do because everybody else is doing it. Can it be wrong if so many other people are doing it? My authority is the world around me. But popular opinion, opinion, political correctness, are so very unreliable because it changes all the time. Have you noticed? 
Exodus 23 verse 2 says, You shall not follow the masses in doing evil. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world. That's the authority when we use the external authority. There's another option to determine what is right and what is wrong. And that's the internal authority. Write that on your outline. I say, this is the voice inside of me. I'm not going to follow the crowd. I myself will determine what is right and what is wrong because I believe it's true. I am the moral authority for what is right and wrong in my life. Friend, I want to tell you there's two problems with that. You and I have limited perspectives. We don't know all the facts. We can't see the end of a decision. Ever done something that you just knew was the right thing to do and it turned out to be a disaster? There's a second thing we need to remember. Our hearts are deceptive. We don't know our motives. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceptive or deceptful than all else and is desperately wicked. You ever ask yourself, why did I do that? We can con ourselves into thinking anything and everything is right. We confuse our desires with what is right. There's an old country song title that says it all. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Sometimes that's the bottom line in our thinking. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. The book of Ecclesiastes is a great example of making myself authority for right and wrong. Listening to the voice of within. You've heard it many times if you've read that book. I said to myself, I said to myself, I said to myself. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There's the external authority. The the world around me, the internal authority, the voice within me. But the third one is the eternal authority. That's the God above me. God says, Jude 25, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. He's the authority over all things, including right and wrong, in the past, now, and forever. Right and wrong are universal and unchanging. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live right. That's what God's Word is for. Scripture, God's Word, tells us what is wrong and how to live right. So the first question I must ask, what will be my authority for choosing right and wrong? As God's people, we've not done well. When my Lord is Jesus Christ, I must choose the eternal authority. Now we come to the second of these most important questions that we're to ask after we've received Christ. The second one, what does the Bible say about right and wrong? When I settle the issue that God is to be my authority, then I must know what He says. What does His Word say about right and wrong? 
That's really the question, isn't it? The issue of right and wrong is in every book of the Bible, as you can imagine. It's in all of them. In fact, the word or phrase for moral rightness is used 869 times in the Bible. I want us to do a quick flyover and look at some of these peaks. The first one, Genesis tells us how to come to know right and wrong. Write that on your outline. How do we come to know right and wrong? Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. God made us and gave, and gave us choices. He told Adam and Eve, I've placed you in this garden. You can eat any fruit, but don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of right and wrong. You know how that ended. When Eve and Adam ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, do you know what they got? The knowledge of good and evil. Before that time, Adam and Eve knew only good. That's the only knowledge they had. They knew God. They knew His presence and what He created. They only knew God. They did not know wrong. Satan enticed them by saying, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Well, I want you to know there's a shadow of truth in what Satan said. In fact, Satan gets very close to the truth when he tries to entice us. God does not have the knowledge, God does have the knowledge rather of right and wrong, but listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. God with His ultimate holy righteousness and omnipotent power can know right and wrong and always choose right. It's impossible for him to choose wrong. You and I are not like that. The very fact that I know about wrong causes me to do wrong. That's the reason God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of that fruit. It is a knowledge that we cannot handle. It's like putting your five-year-old behind the wheel of your automobile while it's going 80 miles an hour down the road. There's going to be a problem. You and I know wrong Because Adam and Eve passed that knowledge to us in our spiritual genetics. Now we have knowledge we can't handle. But God in His love and grace says, I'll help you. I can help you choose to do right. Proverbs 2 tells us, or Proverbs rather tells us, the potential effect of knowing right and wrong. Write that down. There's a positive potential of knowing wrong even. Proverbs 13.6 tells us, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. God says, I'll give you protection if you'll choose right. Proverbs 13.9 says, The light of the righteous rejoices. There is joy in this knowledge of right and wrong when I choose right. There's protection and joy when I choose right. Proverbs 3, 13 and 14, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Verse 14 says, For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. That passage says that when I apply godly wisdom and understanding, the results are better than silver and gold. The person who chooses right over wrong has more joy than the wealthy. Does most of the world think that? 
If I had the power to sit before you, the ability this morning to choose, to always choose right over wrong, or to give you 340 million tax-free dollars if you would choose uh, to do whatever you wanted to, which would you choose? What do most people believe will make them happy? Why, there is something weird or wrong about choosing right over wrong all the time. Real safety, protection, and real joy is choosing right over wrong. It's not more things that make us happy. It's doing the right thing that brings real joy. But there is a negative potential to knowing right and wrong. The negative potential of knowing right and wrong also is explained in Proverbs 28, verse 18. But one who distorts right and wrong will suddenly fall. When I choose wrong over right, when I'm convinced myself that wrong is okay, I'm going to fall. Not only will my choices affect me, but Proverbs 28.2 says, when there is moral rot within a nation, the government topples easily. What I do, the choices I make, does affect you, does affect our nation. We have freedom of choice, but there is no such thing as a free choice. Every choice I make has consequences, good or bad. Let's do another flyover mountain peak. Romans tells us the responsibility of knowing right and wrong. Write that in, the responsibility of knowing right and wrong. Kent, Adam and Eve started this whole thing. They're responsible. What if I never read what God's Word says about right and wrong? Never hear anyone talk about it. Am I responsible? Well, we think ignorance is bliss, but God's Word doesn't say that. Romans 2 verse 12 says, For all have sinned without the law. For all, let me back up, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Those who don't know about God's law will still be judged for the wrong choices. We are responsible to know. God has put a moral conscience in us to know right and wrong. It's like the check engine light on your automobile. You can ignore it or disable it, but it'll never alter the consequences. Because we're all responsible explains the reason that you and I struggle in choosing right over wrong. Knowing right and wrong makes us morally responsible. Let me give you one last mountain peak to fly over. Hebrews and James tells us how to discern right and wrong. Now listen to this very carefully. Hebrews 5 verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Listen, we recognize right and wrong by practicing right. Just like a football player gets better by practicing, someone who plays a musical instrument gets better by practicing, or someone who sings gets better by practicing. God says, I learned to recognize right from wrong by practicing and choosing to do right. Our discernment is sharpened by practicing righteousness, obedience. God's Word is not just the diagnosis. It's also the prescription for the healing. 
Hebrews 5 verse 13 says, Everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. When I'm still on milk, I do not know the teaching about righteousness. I have trouble knowing right from wrong. My immaturity in Christ is because I'm not practicing what is right. James 4.11 says, But you are not a judge who decides whether the law is right or wrong. Your job is to obey it. To obey it. Well, we've looked at the first two moral questions of these three. What will be my authority for choosing right and wrong? What does the Bible say about right and wrong? This brings us to the third and the last of these so important questions that determine the life I live. And the third one, how will I respond to right and wrong? I suspect that for most of us this morning, we've already decided the first two before we got to this place. However, this third question is where we live. This is the fundamental to our lives. As a follower of Christ, I have professed to make Christ the Lord of my life. There are some tangible, practical ways that I must deal with this issue of right and wrong. God's Word has a lot to say about relationships. How am I to relate to those who have chosen wrong? How am I to relate to those who have chosen right? And how am I to relate to Christ? As a follower of Christ, we each are to be, first of all, a prophet to society. Would you write that down? A prophet to society. To society. There's a six word phrase, a six word phrase that occurs in the Bible 160 times. This is what it says, and it says it in different ways, but this is the way it says it. This is what the Lord says, or you may say, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is what the Lord says. Zechariah 1 3. Therefore, tell the people, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Jeremiah, Isaiah, and other prophets would get a word from God and they would say, here is what the Lord says. Today, we have what the Lord says. We have it in His Word, the Bible. As I learn from the Word of God, I am to be forth-telling to those around me. Our society desperately needs a voice telling what God says. Our nation doesn't know what is right and wrong. Now listen, I see some people who say they are prophets of God and they seem to be all too eager to tell people they're wrong. They seem to have no compassion. They seem to have a mean spirit. They're not broken. They're just mad all the time. I don't know if their underwear is three sizes too small or what, but they're just angry. They are to love and respect. We are to love and respect and have brokenness saying, here's what God says. That's what a prophet to society is to do. But there's a second thing. We are priests to sinners. The New Testament tells all believers that we're priests. The word literally has the idea of a bridge builder. Man on this side 
and God on the other side and a great gulf between them. Now, we don't build the bridge. Jesus Christ, our high priest, is the bridge to God. Our job is to bring people to see that the way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. I am both a prophet and a priest. We get these two out of balance sometimes. We love to tell people they're wrong, and that's not all there is to it. Or we don't want to address their wrong, their sin. We just want to show them the way out of darkness. The right balance comes when the motivation is love. Here's what God's Word says. And God wants to forgive and to restore you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God has as though God was making an appeal, not a condemnation, an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I'm to be a prophet to society, a priest to sinners, a partner to saints. Write that in, a partner to saints. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... That means responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You don't do it in a sense of superiority or self-righteousness. You do it in gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. It's not easy to go to someone and say, I want to show you, brother or sister, what's wrong. But I want you to know when we make the choice that we really love someone and we really love one another, we're to do that. Finally, and most importantly, we're to be a person in need of God's strength. Philippians 1 verse 10 says that you will see the difference between good and bad and will choose the good and you will be pure without wrong for the coming of Christ. I can never do the first three if I ever forget my own need. The most dangerous place I could ever be would be to tell you what is right and wrong and neglect by my, my need for this message as well. This message is not just for information. It's for purification Let me give you some life application. To know God's forgiveness for wrong choices and God's power to deliver us right now from the guilt of sin and the overwhelming desire to choose wrong. Friend, we don't always know what is right and what is wrong. But God says, I'll give you the power to know right and wrong. When you practice right, you get stronger. You will know it more. I will give you that right, that knowledge of right and wrong. You'll know the difference that sin and guilt can bring. And the overwhelming desire to choose wrong can be put behind you. On your outline, I put some growth work I want you to ask yourself, where do I need to make a stand for truth? Where do I need to make a stand for truth right today, beginning now?
Not based on financial gain or peer pressure or conveniences, but based on God's Word. What do I need to start today? Let me give you a second thing. To whom can I show the forgiving and restoring power of Christ? I can tell you there's people living around you, maybe in your own family, that need to know. They need to hear again. They may have said no before, but go again and tell them forgiving and restoring power of Christ, what He can do. This may be the time in all that we're experiencing that they're listening. Thirdly, what believer needs my help in their struggle with sin? Friend, I want to tell you all of us are struggling right now. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing and how we're living and what's bothering us that we forget others struggle with sin. Do you know some who are children of God? They're struggling right now. Would you encourage them? Would you go to them with the compassion of God and weep with them as you both struggle together? And then last and fourth, Where do I need God to purify me this moment? Where do I need the power of God to purify me this very moment? Can we sit in this place right now, listen to His Word, and think to ourselves, there's no problems in my life. There's no need to purify myself. Would you be willing to say, God, You begin with me. Purify me. Give me the desire to know right and wrong and to live it in my life. Would you say that? Father, I pray for those who've heard this message that they would be obedient to your word today. I pray that for myself and that in doing so, I would sense what is right and what is wrong and I would practice it. I pray that for the people who listen this morning and for myself as well. When we get to this place in our service that we usually receive an offering, I want to tell you the story about a lady, a woman who led two children or she had two children and she led to offer one to her God. This one served a heathen God. And the child that she offered of the two that she had was healthy and robust. The other was weak and sickly. Which one did she offer? She offered the healthy one. Why did she offer the healthy one? She said, how can I give less than my best to my God? What a challenge that is for us who live for the one true God, Jesus Christ. How can I give less than my best? Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for that. And in these days when we struggle and it's a time to be discouraged, I pray we'll continue to remember and be faithful in our obedience of giving. I pray that. 
Continue to check on your neighbors. Check on your church family. Tell people about our podcast at 10 each Sunday morning and that our members, some of our members do not know, I have found out that we do a podcast and you tell them about it where they can find it. And soon we will add to that podcast our doing audio or video so that you can see us as we proclaim God's word. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word in these times especially. There are many who have lost or are losing their income and are suffering from financial loss. Father, would you be their provider? Would you in this time of social distancing and loss of social events raise up a new chapter of building meaningful and deeper relationships with others and specifically those in our church family? Father, unify your church through this crisis. May we as never before become salt and light in our world. And Father, I pray especially for many medical professionals who are tirelessly serving the sick and the dying. Give them rest. Give them your protection. And Father, give them your peace. The psalmist said, Psalms 121, verse 7 and 8, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going forth now and forevermore. Oh, Father, we claim that promise. And we pray this in Christ's name.